Welcome back to the MatchNet podcast. We have with us these two fine folks from all the way from Germany. How are you guys doing? What's your names? And tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Karen. Um, I just graduated university with an English major right. and uh, moved to Germany here literally a week ago. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I'm Andy Pock. I'm from Germany. I'm 23 years old. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm studying, becoming a teacher for biology and English. And I do this and that, different projects on the side. Okay, well, the reason I wanted to have you two here on this podcast is because people love hearing testimonies. Apparently, it's always requested more testimonies, more sharings. And knowing both of you guys pretty well, I thought you're you're the internal experience that you've both been through to find each other to get matched to receive the blessing is something that's worth sharing so i think it's very valuable it will be very valuable to everyone uh just as a reminder to everyone listening this is the matching it podcast it is the only podcast on the planet that is about matching blessing that i know of and uh still the only one and we are here just to help you guys through this process and that's the only reason we do this so if it's helpful for you guys we'd appreciate any feedback or responses or questions and that you share this with your team because the only way that we spread this podcast is through word of mouth and through sharing. So please go ahead and do that. So why don't you, I don't know if you've maybe prepared uh, something you wanna share. I have some questions here, but I kind of wanna know essentially like what what are the ways that you've grown or changed or perspectives that you've had to, or things you've had to overcome to be somebody that uh, wanted to receive this matching and, and eventually led to each other. Can we go there? Mm-hmm. All right. I guess, uh, I mean, that's the whole purpose of this movement, right? Is that everyone received the blessing. And I think especially after GPA, I experienced reading or, you know, experiencing the divine principle and things like that. And I was like, well, I have to, next step in life is to prepare for the matching. So, yeah, I... I guess for myself, I was kind of more excited about it, like the whole process, but I knew that I had to kind of find my own team Um, since my parents weren't so like gung-ho about it. I had to, um, you know, I was more of the one like informing them like, oh, I'm going to prepare for the matching blessing going to this level one workshop and they're like oh really that's cool <laughs> so um yeah i guess in the way that i prepared was finding the team that i could have and talking with the right people i found a matching advisor and then i found another matching advisor that could communicate with my parents um easier um yeah i realized it's it's not just about like two people, but it's really about, you know, two families coming together. So that was something that I really learned the value of, of like deepening my relationship with my parents. Mm. And it's not just about me and my blessing, but it's about, yeah, how can I include my parents with what I'm doing i think that's really special is that hard for you to navigate to not have your parents so involved in your team i guess it was kind of discouraging in the beginning because i was like oh you know 
I want my parents to decide for me who I'm going to get matched to. But my parents were not wanting that. They wanted me to find my own match. And I was like, this is bad. (laughs) That's not how you're supposed to do it. Um, So I kind of had like judgment towards my own parents in that case, or I felt, yeah, discouraged or kind of um, lonely, maybe is kind of an extreme word, but I felt like, oh, it's like, it's me against the world, man. (laughs) Like I have to, you know, find my team and navigate through this thing that I've never done before. My parents have also never experienced this way of matching, so yeah inside i was always like oh i wish like i could just be matched by two parents and i don't have to figure this out by myself <laughs> but that's not i think it's way. it's way more common than we think that yeah. kind of situation you know this disconnect right so how did how did you and your parents work on that through this process this matching process yeah it definitely a lot of communication like just plowing through the discomfort and like okay parents I like well more like my mom okay mom I want to prepare myself and um I have this matching advisor do you mind like talk can we talk with her and hear you know what do you think about you know what is your expectation or standard for the matching and blessing and like here's what I think and kind of having this mediator our matching advisor kind of be like a mediator between the two of us to communicate. So you found your team and then that was helpful for you to make your team. Yeah. Yeah. I think otherwise it would have just been like, I think I would have felt very disconnected or I don't know, like I'm just doing things independently without, you know, God support or I don't know. It just, it would just have been very confusing to navigate through. And how did how did your your team kind of approach you with uh, proposals or candidates? Well, in our case, I told I told my matching advisor that I was, in, or okay, my matching advisor asked who I might be interested in, and I said mm-hmm. Andrea's name, and then it went about that way. So I didn't re- like, I guess. It, receive i kind of initiated the process well there's something interesting you went through because earlier you said you wanted 100 your parents or ideally your father to just decide for you right that's a very stark contrast to you making your proposal to your team right so what what changed how did you go through that Hmm. i mean i was like okay if not them, then I guess myself, (laughs) like I have to, I have to do it and then just make sure to offer it to my team. Not just like, oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do, but it felt more like a security, like protection. Like, okay, I have an idea. I'm going to offer it to my parents, to my team. And then, you know, let's do this as a team, not just like by myself. So. So Andy, what is your side of the story? Let's (laughs) unpack you now. Let's unpack me. Um, What to say? Yeah, just any general message. How did I? mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This uh, one of the things that came to my mind, like what did I have to work on or overcome in preparing for the matching? This contrast of 
because uh, when I grew up, there was not really this concept of choosing your spouse or looking for your own kind of partner. It was just people were still going to true parents matching. Um, so that was the only thing we were kind of looking forward to. And then it kind of became, okay, your parents are going to match you. And all the testimonies we heard back then were, oh yeah, my parents matched me. I woke up one morning and they told me we have someone for you or something, something like that. So when it came to uh, the time when I wanted to start matching, it was kind of like, oh, I noticed that I think I already have a bit of an idea of the person who I'm looking for or people who this might work with. And I feel like I have some people who I might want to suggest to my parents. Um, so when I did, I did three years of SDF and then I came off and I kind of was like, oh, I think I want to start preparing for the matching. And actually I want to suggest people to my parents, but, <clears throat> and that was a bit of a contrast to the concepts I I'd had in my life before, but it wasn't so much of a like conflict inside. It kind, it just kind of transitioned smoothly for me, I guess. I just kind of noticed that oh, I think it's fine if I talk with my parents about it, and we talk. We, I talk with my we talk with my parents about how we want to approach the matching, and um, I think that's one of the things that I focused on a lot when I started wanting to get matches. I talked a lot with my parents, and I talked a lot about what we thought would be a good way to prepare and to um, what a good, what's a good approach to make. Um, I had a suggestion for them and they liked it. And, and we tried really to just really be on the same page with my parents. Um, yeah. But that made me think that actually when I was asking myself, Oh, when did I, and how did I start preparing for the matching? My whole life already kind of was leading up to the moment when I started, when I wanted to get matched and, Having gone to having gone to workshops, having gone to camps, and having started practicing reflecting or practicing challenging myself, or just meeting all different kinds of people, and I think already from when I was kind of young, it was already in the back of my mind. Well, in the future, this is what I what I want to do: get matched and go to the blessing. So, yes, in my case, it was something that, although not like substantially or um, directly, it's something that I've always been kind of working towards um, throughout my youth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think that is one of the things that, one of the first things that happened. I kind of started, okay, who do I want to have in my team? That, that was a concept that was also kind of brought to us on uh, blessing workshops. And so I, in my case, it worked out really well that I was able to talk with my parents and really be on the same page with them. And yeah, when, when this process kind of started developing and I started preparing more, uh, I think I reached out to more and more people who I wanted. I, I was seeking support to in, in the matching process. So one of that was when I started working a lot more on my pornography and masturbation addiction. And I started working with High Noon and because I started working on my pornography and masturbation addiction, that opened a lot of doors for me, I think, to work on many other things, like my emotional well-being and being aware of my emotions and how I reflect in different kinds of habits and how I see people and how I relate to them. And uh, and it opened a door for me to actually find mentors that are good fits, I think, for me. And who are able to become mentors as well in the matching process so how did that prepare you for being in a relationship finding a team or a man or the everything 
well working on your your uh porn masturbation habit mm. specifically yeah. i think there's a lot of ways that it yeah that kind of working and overcoming my porn masturbation habit prepared me for a relationship um one of the things that i realized pretty early on when i started kind of um getting into high noon and taking my recovery and my healing a lot more serious um after a while that i kind of got into that and i've i stayed away from point masturbation for the first couple of weeks or months and i got some traction in the process i realized that of course there was a streak or there was some distance to to porn for example but something internal that had changed was i felt a lot less self-absorbed that was something that i realized very early on and it was kind of this change of habit externally but internally i think i was a lot more focused on who am i really and uh, what am i focusing on and a lot of the habits that i had at the time was they were kind of i was just kind of following the, my laziness or my body or the addiction and um it wasn't such a conscious way of living back then and then after i kind of started getting into really watching my habits and reflecting a lot more the first shift i realized was oh i feel like i'm not as self-absorbed anymore and i'm not as self-centered anymore something kind of started shifting a little bit mm. and so that that's one way i feel like i started relating to sisters and to girls and to women in a lot in a much healthier way mm. and um and just through later on in my well with high noon I, I got to work on a lot of different habits my relationship with my phone or how i consume media and what i take in and how that influences me mm. i think there's stuff to say about that um but i think what also really impacted me was later on when I wanted to dig a little deeper in my recovery and I started a six month therapy with uh, Philip Schenker. And that got me into going a lot more into my, like my childhood experiences and my emotional world and how I deal with my emotions and respond to my emotions. And it just showed that there were a lot of patterns that, for example, if I get stressed or if I get frustrated or angry or sad, then I would respond to these emotions by feeling like, no, I'm not allowed to have negative emotions or I'm not supposed to be angry or mm -hmm. it's bad to be angry. It's bad to be sad. And uh, expressing that is not good or it's it's not the goody, goody Andy that I thought I had to be mm. um, for people to like me or for people to love me. Yeah. Um, so I learned how to actually let go of that concept and mm. learn that I am loved and it's better to learn who I truly am and who I, yeah, who I truly am and feeling those emotions mm. is part of me. It's mm. a part of me that I try to suppress, but by suppressing part of me, I su suppress also good parts of me. Mm. There's no, no have or have kind of thing. There's, you're touching on a deep fear that a lot of people have that are going, preparing for matching men or women, which is, the fear of having these conversations in the matching process, you know, whether it's past or present uh, addictions or bad habits, porn, masturbation, whatever, phone use, drugs, alcohol, et cetera. But especially with sexual integrity issues, how have you guys navigated that conversation as in your matching process? Mm. How was that? Yeah. Especially for you, Karen. Yeah. Anyway. 
Um, I guess before or as we were talking, I mean, I, I knew that those through high noon and uh, receiving talks and things about this, the issue of pornography and masturbation, but it was something that I never experienced myself or I, I never came in really into contact with. So when we were in the process, uh, we would talk about it because it would come up in like Andy's journey. Like we would talk about it. And I feel like it was really, it was like, a, it's a very just vulnerable experience to share. And I was really grateful every time that he would share it because it's a part of his story. And it's, it's not like something to necessarily hide or shame or be shameful of. Yeah. It's just like a part of your journey and a part of like how you're growing through it. So yeah, I think talking about it was really helpful because I could like learn about like how Andy is reacting to his experience with that. And I can see how, you know, he's really making these effective decisions or actions or, you know, even thoughts um, to like grow himself. So, I mean, already the fact that he's in like high noon, it kind of shows like a certain standard of a, of a person, like you're willing to put yourself in a place where you can grow. Like, and I think that was already like a really, you know, it's a sign of a high quality human being, <laughs> I feel like. Um, so yeah, and the fact that we could talk about it in our process when it's kind of like a taboo topic in general, I thought it was really yeah. like created a really honest space and a vulnerability where we could be really open yeah. to share and talk about it. So hmm. I think it was beneficial to talk about those uh, topics uh, in our process hmm. yeah was it was it kind of challenging at some points to talk about it for you Karen like did it produce emotions that were like maybe a bit fearful or reserved or how was it for you um I feel like sometimes I would just be like I honestly don't know how to respond hmm. like I'm here and I'm listening and I appreciate the fact that you're sharing to me. So honestly, I really appreciate that. But I just, I don't have anything. I don't know what I'm supposed to say or how I'm supposed to respond. Yeah. So I just say that, but it didn't make me change how I see Andy, like at all as a human being. Like it didn't make me like him less or not appreciate him. You know, like it just made me, appreciate the fact that we can create this space of honesty but it didn't change my thought or perspective about Andy I think rather it like enhanced it because of how honest we could be in our process I want and to put a I want to put a pin in this conversation for everyone listening that has this fear which I know is everyone what you just heard this what Karen say guys is to look at somebody first and foremost as a, as a child of God before you look at their behavior or their mistakes. And that is exactly what Karen did. And if you can listen closely what, to what she said, she did not even consider that 
he was less than, or that maybe this isn't going to work because of, because of this. But in fact, she was looking at how can I, how can I love and how can I grow and how can we grow from this experience? And so I want to, I want to pinpoint this because I want it to be proof of evidence to you that this is possible. And I keep saying this every time I am giving talks, every time I receive this question, is it possible to go through a matching process, even though I've made mistakes or my spouse has made mistakes? And there's always this fear of like, oh, it's not possible, but I'm, I'm doing this podcast with these guys because this is evidence, this is proof, okay? That the most important way forward through these conversations is to have give and take about it, is to talk about it and to first see each other as a divine, uniquely beautiful son or daughter of God first. And I promise you, if you can open your mind to that first and you look through that filter and through that lens, then you will your, your, your pool of opportunity is endless. And the opp- opportunity for God to work in your relationship, in your life, in finding someone is endless because then anybody is a possibility, right? It's beautiful. So I just wanted to, to say that, Karen, thank you for sharing that. Um, Andy, what about on your end? <laughs> How it's been? How has been navigating these these conversations? Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean, before came the question, how did working on my addiction help me in the relationship? Like, our first, no, no, our second conversation we had in the matching process was was brought that up, and I and I and I shared to Karen about how I had been addicted to pornography and masturbation. We had our second conversation, and we were starting to use this uh like book it's called 101 questions to ask someone before you get engaged or some something like this and it has these questions and i think the second question was what are you like what's your fear um about marriage or something like that and so for me i was like okay i think this is the moment that i have to start sharing about well i've been struggling with point masturbation for a number of years and i've been uh and in what ways and and how 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 early into your communication was this? This was the, the second, second conversation call ever. <laughs> we had a first call where we kind of started introducing and we actually jumped into the cold water and started asking mm-hmm. questions like, well, what is your vision for the blessing? Because of, this is what her, Karen's first question to me was, what's your vision for the blessing? Because if that's too different, then we don't really have to continue for a long time. Um, so we talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then how our relationship to God is right now, where we add in our life. A bunch of, I think, questions that we thought were most important to us on the first call. And we just kind of laid out, I think, some kind of roadmap for us. Okay, how do we want to approach these next few calls? Um, This was, we were kind of, we knew we were going to have online calls for two weeks, and then we were going to meet in person um, on a workshop. So we're like, okay, how do we want to handle these first two weeks? and so we just kind of, we had this book and we're like, okay, let's, if we have personal questions that we want to ask, we'll pri- prioritize those. Um, and if not, we'll follow these kind of few questions that we have in this book, 101 questions. But so that was the first, the, the second question that came up is what's your fear in marriage or what fear do you bring? And for me, I felt like, well, I think this is the moment that I, I'm going to share about, um, yeah, I think the heaviest burden perhaps that I'll bring to the, that I'm bringing to the table and um but i felt very although i didn't know how she would respond um personally i felt mm, i don't know if confident is the right word but 
like calm or at peace about sharing about that because I knew I'm already on my journey of recovery. I'm already on my journey of healing. And uh, yeah, I, I just knew this is, I have to do this and I'll have to share regardless of who I'm talking to in this matching process. I'll, I'll choose to share um, as honest as I can get. And so I did that. And, um, and at the end I was kind of like, and I know, you know, if this is uh, after I was done sharing, I know if this is not good enough for you or um, at the time, even I didn't have such a long streak or whatever. Um, I was like, Oh, I'm, yeah, it's something that I'm still working on. It's gotten a lot better, but if that's not good, good enough for you or um, yeah, if you don't want to continue, then I understand. And uh, yeah. And I was really amazed by Karen's response back then, uh, our, our second call. And uh, she was like, Hey, what you just said, she was like, wow. I'm like, thank you so much for like what you just shared and your honesty. And it doesn't change any of my, commitment to this process or any of my commitment to you and how I see you and that really moved me and that was just such a wholesome response I think to who I was not to the problem and the problem wasn't kind of put kind of on my face as my identity but it was something that I dealt with and I've been dealing with I dealt with at the time and then yeah something for us to talk about kind of yeah, but navigating from there later on, um, yeah, it wasn't something that I wasn't completely done with my recovery and healing when we started the matching process. And I had never and never again a real like relapse with pornography since then, but with masturbation here and there, I did have a slip um, throughout our process. And then that's something that I always kind of, I chose to share. And I really felt strongly that I think being able to be honest and speak the truth in our relationship is something I want to prioritize. Um, but also we had to figure out, okay, is this actually something that she wants me to share every time or she wants to hear every time or just every now and then or kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, well, you can maybe share. What was your response to? I don't know. I think it, it just benefited. Like it just shows how we put putting honesty first instead of like, oh, I'm, you know, this how I am. Uh, I'm going to show you the best parts of myself and not my what I'm actually going through. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. once you're actually together, it's going to show up anyway. So might as well just share honestly. I mean, that's just also how I thought of it. Like I would rather be as transparent as I can with someone and have that reciprocated, yeah. you know, even the ugly stuff that you think is ugly um, mm -hmm. rather than have like this kind of, I don't know, hidden things. And then, I don't know. I just like the transparency rather than just showing, showing up what's all nice and pretty. Like, yeah, yeah I, I would rather something authentic is like rough and maybe a little bit, not so perfect and that's great i love that <laughs> yeah yeah it's beautiful i would like to ask you karen what what you have because you you right until this moment have been portrayed as a complete angel with absolute flawlessness and <laughs> unconditional grace <laughs> no <laughs> what have you struggled with what have you had to overcome <laughs> in your in your life 
Oh, in my life? Well, to get here, to be here, right? Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean... Hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to ask Andy what, what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I don't know, if this is probably really common, but I always feel like I'm not doing enough. Like even on my GPA journey, I always felt like I'm not doing enough. Like I always need to be like doing something. I need to prove that I'm worthy or of value to whatever I'm a part of or to who I'm related to or like, you know, mm. and even in like a relationship, like, oh, I have to somehow prove myself. Um, and if I'm not doing something, then it's like I'm worthless. <laughs> So I think, yeah, I guess that would be something that I, I mean, even now I still kind of deal, deal with that. I, I think I know inside, I'm very confident. Like I know that I'm worthy. I'm a child of God and you know, mm -hmm. nothing will change that. Like, I know that is my core, but sometimes, uh, yeah, even while I'm here, <laughs> like I moved from America no all this greatness in America and moving to Germany and it's like a fresh star and yeah I guess I'm not like technically I'm not I graduated I'm done with school I don't have a job right now so I'm kind of like a mm. just a house bum right mm -hmm. now. but also at the same time that doesn't change my worth or my value um I think that's just I don't know that's just something well, where, where do you think this comes from it's very common. It is so common. Yeah, it's so common. Yeah. But what, um, what have you learned about? Like, where does it come from? This this feeling? I don't want to say it's just like the grind culture. Like, oh, you always have to be like doing something to be a value. Like school and then work and then have a stable income and have a family. Like this kind of cookie cutter picture, perfect, you know, individual. And um yeah, I think I just have that pressure for myself. I was always like, oh, I'm going to be this like independent woman, like career oriented. And all the, like I had this certain image of myself. Um, and it's interesting to see how it like is changing or I'm actually very fluid. Like I'm not actually stuck on that idea. And I don't know if I'd actually be happy with like, I like to have a plan and execute the plan. <laughs> like, there's a to-do list. I, like, check it all off. And, like, life is good. <laughs> I think that's just how my brain is operating. So as I see my life, it's, like, always changing. Like, it's never the way that I set originally. Like, so, I never... Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like it's something you've struggled with a lot more. And you've you've grown in your ability to deal with it. Uh, but it's so still something that's there, right? Yeah. Like you haven't completely like, so when you do feel those feelings of like, I need to do more, uh, what's, what's the, what, what are you telling yourself in those moments, in those days? Like, what's the internal dialogue going on? Yeah. I guess it's just like, I'm just telling myself, oh, I, I can't like, I can't just be like sitting down doing nothing. I have to like do something productive just like bullying myself <laughs> and uh but I, I also don't want to like tell people that I'm struggling so I'm just kind of it's just in it's a mind game it's just myself hurting like 
myself in my mind. And I don't want to tell people because I don't want to be a burden to people. So it's like more of like, I'm just putting myself in a cave in a corner (laughs) until I'm really sad. I'm like, wait a second, this is not right. Mm. And uh, Mm. yeah. This is, this is, I think, more important than we give it credit to because it's it's almost celebrated on our, in our culture, this grind culture, this hustle, like go, 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 do, do, do. And, but, but when you, when people become susceptible to feelings of like, oh, I should be more, I should be doing more, I should be this, which is okay. It's a motivator. It helps us move our, move our butt, right? But when we aren't that and we tell ourselves things like, I should be more. Other words, I'm not good enough. And I think that's a very, very destructive cycle that people get stuck into, right? And they kind of spiral from there. So Andy, what what do you think about this? Like, where does this come from? This this feeling of like, I should be, I should do more, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think I had my own fair share of feeling like that. I mean, now a lot a lot kind of growing up um i think growing up i was very always very involved in like um our church events and workshops and going to workshops and i kind of um yeah really invested into oh i have to be this i don't know goody goody but i have to be this like perfect image of myself and i have to really live up to people's expectations and um I had this experience when I was when I was young and I had these older brothers who anyway they just told me like oh you're so young already but we feel like you're spiritually you're already so much older it's just, you're so much more mature mm-hmm. and I kind of felt like oh this is kind of what I have to live up to and I want to fulfill this expectation so I have to be older than I am and I have to kind of invest into that mm-hmm. and well it was good in a way. There was uh, good good tendencies in that with, because it made me kind of uh, invest sincerely and invest seriously and kind of uh, work on growing myself. But what it also just did was I felt like, oh, I have to live up to a certain expectation and I have to live up to the certain image in my head of, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be and who I should be because this is what uh, people affirmed about me. And, but yeah, so it made me feel like, okay, this is what I have to, what I have to be and who I have to be so that people can accept me or people like me or people can love me. Um, And it was, I think, perhaps rare for me to, to just be myself and test uh, how will people like me if I'm just completely open with them and I'm just naturally myself. And um Anyway, so I think this feeling of, oh, this is who I should should be or this is what I should do um, is because of these expectations that we have on ourselves. And I think these expectations that we have on ourselves, they they come from probably some experience that we have further like back in our lives. Um, If that's with our parents or some early early encounters with people or friends um, and we didn't feel unconditionally loved just for who we are. And um, I think it can be different things for different people. I think maybe for me, it was feeling criticized for being just myself sometimes when I was young. And that feeling of being criticized or, yeah, my 
made me kind of want to be someone who okay let's kind of invest into perfectionist tendencies i'll just try to be perfect i'll try to be flawless i'll try to hide those aspects of me so that i'll minimize the possibility of experiencing criticism again mm. and i don't want to deal with that anymore but then yeah you can only keep up kind of trying to be perfect for so long until dams breach i think mm. and uh, any more and if i if i feel like add the belief of let's say anger is bad and uh if I want to be flawless and perfect, I'm not allowed to show anger. But just keeping it inside and not expressing it in a healthy way blocked me in so many ways uh, of actually being authentic in my relationships with people and with myself. I feel like I'm trying to explain something. It's simple, actually, in nature, but uh, it's so complicated with all the different factors in relationships. Well, you're both touching on such a vital point, point of being human that no one talks about. Which is, which is that we're children of God and God's love is infinite, infinitely available all the time, everywhere. And we know that intellectually, but it's so hard to feel it, mm. which is yeah. really, really a sad reality. And it's really hard to admit that. We know it. It makes sense. We know we're loved, right? Everyone knows their parents love them. Well, everyone's parents knows they tried their best with what they had. And as people of faith, we know that God's love is infinitely available. And when we're in spirit world, it's what we will breathe. We know that. It's not that God isn't in us. People think like, oh, God, is God part of my life or not? Is God in my matching process or not? Like this dichotomy, black and white binary thing. But God is always there. Always. Everywhere. Like if we could somehow see spirit world you know, as sometimes people do when they go to the afterlife and they experience near-death experiences and they talk about their experience, everybody, thousands and hundreds of thousands over generations say the same thing. When they go to spirit world, they say, I felt unconditional love, regardless of if they're atheistic or religious, Christian, Muslim, whoever, they say the same thing. And you start to wonder why everyone is saying the exact same thing for generations. I felt unconditional love. And I can't explain it. And I want to go back there, right? My point being is that it's everywhere all the time. But it's so hard to feel. And you mentioned that, Karen, too. You know it, right? You know you're worthy. <laughs> you know it. But sometimes it's really hard to feel it. And mm -hmm. so this is, in my, in my opinion, this is, this is the life of faith that we're talking about. This is the path of life. This is what a life of faith actually is. Is to reaffirm ourselves over and over and over again, day after day, that we are worthy of love. Now we are loved. And it's not true that we're not. We can point fingers at our parents all day. You know, you could have two siblings in the same family. You guys probably know people like this. Two siblings, same family, or many siblings, grow up, growing up with the same parents in the same household, in the same environment, but two siblings have completely different perspectives on their parents. One will say, my parents were absent and they absolutely don't love me. And the other one say, my parents unconditionally love me. How is that possible, right? It's because we perceive life differently. It's not that you're not loved. It's you perceive that you're not because of experiences, because of reinforced experiences many, many times through your life, like Andy was saying. You experience being rejected. You experience being yourself and feeling rejected. And you perceived that I'm not worthy of love. I'm not unconditionally loved. It's not true. And to prove that, all you have to do is think about the times that you did feel unconditionally loved. 
and remember those times because those are reference points for you to go back to and say, oh yeah, I might feel depressed or sad or lonely right now. But when I think about the amount of times I have felt unconditionally loved in my life by a parent, by a, a spouse, like that moment where you, where you said that, Karen, when you were sharing, I got chills. And I think it might might have been God or a spirit. I got chills when you said that you didn't see Andy any differently because of his porn habit, his masturbation habit. I got chills because that's Andy's reference point. That's proof and evidence to him that he's loved no matter what. And sometimes we forget that. And that's normal. That's being human, right? Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we get in the grind and we get busy and we, you know, feel upset and anger and we just lose. We, we empty our tanks so we don't know that we're loved. But all we have to do is go back in time and remember, oh, yeah, I don't need that. I don't need porn. I don't need social media. I don't need my phone. I don't need anger, right? I can just, I know that I'm loved and I'm good. Anyways, I'm just highlighting this, this overall theme that both of you guys are experiencing. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it's one of the, the most human experiences that we're not talking about, you know? Anyways, I want to ask you guys one more question. And we're going back to the roots of why you guys found each other, all right? The, the real reason, and I think the first conversation you guys had in your matching process that you mentioned is your shared belief system, right? You said, Karen asked you, um, what is your vision for your blessing? And so if you can touch a little bit on what have you discovered is your shared value system? Yeah. And what is that shared? Exactly what is that shared value system that you have? Yeah. When I asked that question, um, I don't even know if I had a clear, like, it wasn't like, oh, if you say this and this, like you're cut, like, you know, next. Um, it was more like, yeah, what do you envision? Like, what, why, what's the point of the blessing for you? Because everyone has a different purpose. But um, yeah, I think ours was simply creating a family that's centered on God. And um, yeah, that sounds so basic and simple, but yeah, I, I don't know. I well, honestly it's, don't. It's, it, it is basic, but it influences so much of your life. Like just, I'm sorry to talk here guys, but like, just think of the, what that implies, right? I want to create a family that's, th that is centered on God that's that's that affects everything in your life from mm -hmm. having children it's the the entire premise of that belief is we want to have children and we want to raise them in a faith environment and that values god as the center right but it's huge so anyways back to you mm. that's true <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. You wanna... <laughs> our, our shared value system yeah I think <clears throat> when I when we talked, both of our vision was, yeah, we want to when I was looking for a partner, I realized the the thing that I'm looking for the most is someone who is committed to the blessing as much as I am. We want to be committed to the blessing and we want to make this work. And we're not only putting our relationship, we're not only prioritizing each other in our relationship, but we're prior prioritizing the blessing, this thing that is over us and overarching us and uh, and our relationship more than, and I think that's the distinction, right? It's, oh, I'm prioritizing you and I'm proud and I love you, but I also love our relationship and I, and I love the blessing 
that we have. And this is something I want to commit to. Um, and that was something when I was thinking, hmm, what are like red flags? What are things that I'm looking for? There wasn't so much. And I felt like, like any, any other criteria is stuff that I'd have to talk with the person about. It's something that I have to, I have to talk with that person, that human being, what their situation is, what their experience is. The only thing that I'm looking for and that, you know, makes someone eligible in my eyes to be a potential spouse is I've worked on myself and I want to commit to the blessing. Okay, now we can talk about the rest kind of thing. And um, yeah, so that, that there was already this vision of, yeah, I want to commit to the blessing and we want to, we have a relationship with God and we want to invest into that and we want to bring it into our relationship and continue prioritizing that and um, and kind of letting each other know, like, this is important for me, my relationship to God, my relationship with my faith. Um, I didn't expect her to have the same faith or the same experience. And I think that's, I don't even know if that's possible to find someone who has the exact same experiences and the exact, uh, exact same type of faith. Uh, it was something that I thought would be my priority when I was younger. I felt like, oh, I, I want to find someone who, you know, has a similar faith as I do. Mm-hmm. And when I said that, there was a moment, and I happened to say it to, to an to an aunt figure and mother figure in my life. And I, I just said that because she asked me, oh, what what are you looking for in a partner? And uh, she right away responded, don't expect to find someone with the same faith as you. You won't you won't find such a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it was a game changer for me, I think, at that time, because it really changed my mindset of like, oh, okay, I thought that's so important to find someone of the same faith. But actually, it's true. People come from different backgrounds and families to have their own experiences. Um, each faith, even in that, is unique. So I rephrased and I was like, well, if that is different, that's something I have to figure out and what what a relationship and what faith means to that person that I'll talk to. So then, yeah, the key thing is have they a commitment to the blessing and have they a commitment to investing into that and their faith and their relationship to God. Hmm. Okay, so and, just to, so I understand, you started your, your inquiry about in general, you you thought someone that would have a, the same faith, right? But then through that conversation, you realized that, well, you became open to the idea that people might have expressed faith in different ways than you, right? Yeah. 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 So it became simply just someone that shares my commitment to the blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like the only thing that I could say, oh, this is for certain what I'm looking for. Okay. So you narrowed it down essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that was what I narrowed it down at that time. Mm. Mm. Because I mean, one thing is, and I think there's truth in it too, to figure out who am I and by figuring out who am I, um, what do I want and what am I looking for in a partner? I think that's important too. And kind of knowing, knowing my direction. Um, But something that I figured out for myself was also, I shouldn't be too picky in choosing and I shouldn't narrow, I shouldn't be too specific and oh yeah I want this person to be this and this and this and this mm-hmm. um, and I have very specific criteria for choosing my spouse um, yeah so I, I, I because I thought well each person is different and I had this anyway this is a very recent experience um, that I had at the prayer night again anyway it showed me I, I had this experience we were with Karen as a prayer night and there was someone in the front singing 
And it was a sister who their family had sent a, uh, anyway, there was someone who had sent a matching request to my family in the past. And there was the possibility of that, that relationship happening in the past. And there was no like emotions in the moment. I was just kind of praying. And then I noticed that, uh, that moment and I felt like, oh yeah, that's true. There was a time when I could have gotten married to a different person and that would have been okay probably. And Karen would have found another great, amazing guy, but things happened in certain ways and we found each other and we're happy that it did. And my feeling was somehow we are all, we are all one. And, um, but I'm happy that it's Karen and we get to work it out and make it work and create this beautiful uh, couple and family. But essentially I felt like, oh, but yeah, that there, there would have been different options to or different possibilities if circumstances had been different here or there or at specific times. Does this, does it make sense? This experience? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's it's good. It's helpful, yeah, to hear. Yeah, I, I was asking about your shared value system because this is this has become more and more important as I'm, you know, advising people through matching processes. Is that the tendency is to reverse the order? So first, people look at preferences, and then they mm -hmm. look at value system, which mm -hmm. is completely the opposite way to do it. Because if you if you were to base your entire relationship off of preferences, let's say that are external, like, you know, height or, or ethnicity, culture, weight, you know, physical fitness, anything like that, more than likely those things will change during your lifetime and won't matter anyways. And when you go to spirit world, it'll matter. It'll matter infinitely less because none of that stuff matters. You know what I'm saying? And so if you base your relationship first and foremost on your value, value system, a shared value system, now this goes for the blessing, but also in secular marriage as well. So if you base, base your, your relationship off of the value system of a blessing and raising a family and God's, God's family, then everything after that is completely 100% optional, 100% optional. And people often ask the questions like, is it okay to have preferences? Yeah, but caveat Number one, you have to make sure that the value system is aligned first and look first and foremost through that lens and through that filter. And then you can have preferences optionally, but the risks of doing that is that the more preferences you have, the more you narrow your pool of opportunity, literally. Numerically, you limit your pool of opportunity a lot. <laughs> and also you limit the opportunity for God to work. Because if God said, hey, I have this suggestion for you of this you know, short Japanese man, <laughs> that doesn't speak English, but your preference was that they have to be a certain height. And the first filter was like, oh no, I can't do that. Then you don't let the opportunity work and you don't, you don't, you, you narrow your pool. Or if your filter is someone that has never struggled with porn and masturbation, right? Like, good luck. You've immediately uh, eliminated a lot of people in your experience. So I'm just being real here. I'm just being practical. So this is important because we have to first and foremost think of people as children of God, as you've done, both of you, and also look through the lens of what is our shared value system, as you've done, you know? And I think this is a beautiful story that you've been sharing with us because it really paints the picture for what is truly, really important. And I am very excited for the, the family and the, the marriage and blessing that you'll have your entire lives. I'm very confident that you'll have a, a great experience, right? Is there anything else you guys wanted to share with everyone? 
Um, well, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, that's. I think that was the when I was reflecting what I want to tell people. Uh, this is what I came to my mind. Kind of figuring out who they are and their values and what what are their principles in life and that they want to live according to, and that that's their. Yeah, you put it as the lens through which uh, they look for someone. Um, but in that, yeah, not being too picky in um, in choosing. So if you find someone who has the same value systems, the same, there's familiarity in in their way of life, then then what's the only thing that's missing is can I can I commit to that person and make it work? I feel. Yeah. And I'll just say, if you're in a process, like with someone, it's already so difficult to come to that place. So many, I don't know, prayer conditions or whatever. So just give your a hundred percent while you're talking with that person, like bring yourself as fully as you can to the other person as you're able to. And, you know, then you can really say that you gave your all in this process with where however it goes like good or if it works or if it doesn't work mm -hmm. at least you know like you gave your best and everything and you can be really proud of that at the the end of however it works out so i'll just say yeah just give your 100 percent and um don't be so mean to yourself <laughs> find some joy in talking with someone yeah yeah, thank you, Andy and Karen. If uh, people want to reach out to you, is that okay by email or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You, you guys can let me know if you if you want to reach out to them, and I'll be sure to connect you guys. All right. Thank you all for joining this episode. Please consider joining the MatchNet uh, program at MatchNet.us if you want to get through a step by step process to the matching experience. And uh, we love you all so much. Please share this episode with people that you love, people that are on your team. And uh, we will give you all the love in the world for that. Thank you so much, Andy and Karen. See ya. <laughs> Thank you. Guten Tag. <laughs>